Hola, mis tesoas. How are you doing? We have an Afro-Latina from Brazil with us today. Annalise Gonçalves. Hope I said that right. Yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. Well, I'm really glad she could make it. It's the first Afro-Latina that we had on the show. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Hi, everyone. It's nice to meet you. Um, nice to be here. Thank you, Gabby, for your invite. And I hope we have a nice conversation today. Yeah, this is going to be definitely laying down some knowledge for people. It helped me realize a lot of things about Brazil that I didn't really know. Yeah, yeah, I think most of people don't know a lot of Brazil because we are so different from the rest of Latin America. We are a giant country, but we are Latinos. Of course, I am Afro-Latina, but we're so different. We're so different, and I'm glad we're going to talk about these differences right now. Yeah, it's definitely really cool. The way that Brazil functions, first of all, is unlike most of the Latino countries in Latin America and the Caribbean, it was a monarchy for a while. It's one of the things. And unlike a lot of the, I guess you'd call it British colonized places, where if you have a drop of black, you are black. In Brazil, that's very different as well. Plus, it's huge. It's the fifth largest country in the world. In the world, yeah. It's two-thirds as big as the United States, two times as big as the EU, and just the state of Sao Paulo is as big as the UK. So yeah. we have a lot of ground to cover. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if you know the Minas Gerais state. It's next to Rio, so where I come from, and it's the size of Spain. So it's very interesting to see that a lot of countries we can put inside of Brazil and it, it continues big. So yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, our maps have been lying to us. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. The first thing I want to cover with you, you wrote a article for medium.com about how to be anti-racist. But one of the things that you mentioned, which I was like, what doesn't register me as an African-American person, you realize that you are a Black woman at 16. Why did it take so yeah. long? Well, because in Brazil, the, our story is different from the United States or South Africa, for example, because we didn't have an apartheid. We didn't have any specific politics after the slavery to separate Black people from white people. So in Brazil, we have a thing called racial democracy. It's a fake thing, of course. Uh, that's why I'm doing this. Because <laughs> basically, after slavery, we didn't have any politics to include Black people in society, to give them jobs and education. So people just preferred to forget the story of Brazil. And then we grow up thinking that we have no racism and no prejudice in Brazil. And Brazil is amazing and Brazil receives everyone and it's a perfect place. So regarding this, we don't really have to think about our color because I don't know how I can summarize this. But basically, I grew up, as I'm not very dark, I'm kind of light-skinned and light-skinned black person. People always try to make my color smoother. Like, oh, you're not that dark. No, honey, you are not black because you are not. And sometimes people even do like this. And I used to straight my hair. So I yeah. didn't use my hair like this. Me too. So, Yeah as if I, I wasn't that dark and my hair was not Afro, I was not black because 
being black is like a bad thing in Brazil, but we mm. don't have racism, okay? Being black is not good, but we don't have racism, we accept everyone. So also regarding this discussions, what is being a black person in Brazil? What is being black? What is a, being a mixed race? These discussions are really in the past two decades. These discussions are really new for us. So it's really complicated. We are still trying to understand who we are. Hmm. Yeah, that is a really confusing. With Brazil, it was one of the last countries to get rid of slavery. So that's really confusing. But at least nobody's wearing their white lady from behind wig anymore. That's good. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So you're 22 now. But what was it at 16 that clicked? You're like, I'm black. What happened? Well, <laughs> at first, I finished the elementary school. So I started high school. I changed the school. I went to a better school, like the federal center. So the education is better. It was still a public school, but you had to do exams and stuff like that. So it was really selected. Then I started to read more and I started to meet other people and I started to understand the Brazilian black movement because before I used to go to schools in my neighborhood. So I live in a poor neighborhood. Oh, okay. I forgot to mention, but I do not live next to the sea, Ipanema, Copacabana. These places are the richer places in the city. I live really far from these places. I live in the suburb of Rio. So everybody here is black. So we don't have these differences. We don't have a high level of education. So we don't discuss these things. These things are not important to us. So I started to talk with other people and I started to understand that I faced racism in my life, but I didn't know that it was racism. Actually, I started to understand myself as a black person because of racism. So it's like, awkward. I, I knew that's <laughs> awkward because, yeah, because before 16, I've never had a, a boyfriend, for example, mm -hmm. because I wasn't pretty and I didn't understand why I wasn't pretty. I knew the white girls, they had boyfriends and stuff like that. And I didn't understand why people didn't like me. So I started to understand these things in high school. Mm, wow. That's yeah. something else. Yeah, but I guess from the way you're explaining it, something we have similar in the States and Canada and even in Africa still, something called colorism where people are like, I'm not as black as you, so I must be better than you, which unfortunately is from the colonial times just carried over. So we discriminate against each other. It's really sad. Yeah. We study a lot of concepts that come from the U.S., but some things here in Brazil don't work. For example, I don't know how to explain this right now, but for example, let's think about Mariah, Mariah Carey. I have a friend from the U.S., and he told me Mariah is Black because of her parents. And I was like, no, not at all. Mariah is not Black. He was like, <laughs> yes, she's Black. <laughs> And I was like, no, in Brazil, Mariah Carey would never be black. Do you know that singer, Rosie? 
And House is a, to me, she's a white singer, but she claimed herself a black woman because of her parents. Okay. But in Brazil, <laughs> yeah. But in Brazil, this concept of even if you don't have a black color, you are black. Okay, it doesn't work in Brazil. In Brazil, is the way you look. Mm-hmm. Your parents both can be black, and but if you look white or white for us, you are white. You're not black because it's the way that society sees you. But I'm just using this example to explain how this racial studies of the United States most of time don't apply to Brazil because Brazil is a whole new world. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't take in, doesn't consider that cultural foundation. I hadn't thought about it that way before. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes, for example, colorism makes sense in Brazil because if you don't have a dark skin, you can have some advantages in your life. But yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But one thing that's happening right now with all the the Black Lives Matter is some people are trying not to be racist, but some people are doing it wrong. <laughs> so could you explain the difference between amplifying and empowering from what you're seeing what's the difference okay let me just um, give you some context i guess we already mentioned that but i'm i'm going to mention it again for who is watching i wrote this article while i was working at the british embassy here in brazil most of people who are working there they are white so i wrote this article to help white people to help the black movement to help the black fight. I'm not putting this on on them. I'm surrounded by white people who are trying to do best and be better and to help the anti-racist fight. But sometimes I see, for example, they are not using our voices, the black people voices. They are trying to create their own. For example, that's a thing that I saw in the United States. I, I was also talking with my American friend. Hmm. Some white influencer steal the content of a black influencer. So I think it's better to share. The white person can share the content of the black person instead of post the, the content on their page. So that's amplifying. I don't know if I'm talking very well about it. Do you want me to explain it more or Yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of what yeah. we're we're trying to do with clever hybrids because I'm not Latina. But what I do is amplify. So I try and take people who are already like, oh, that's something interesting. Let me share that with my network over here. So something like that. But even the quote you made in that article, you said, when people empower, when they're trying to give a voice, giving a voice to minorities implies that we don't have one already. So that's a a little bit presumptuous, people. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes we, we can't explain the full context in the translation. But in Brazil, we have this expression. It's a famous expression. Like, we have to give voice to them. They have no voice. They can't fight for themselves. No, Latin people and Black people can fight for themselves. But of course, we can't fight alone. So that's the role of an ally. It's Mm -hmm. to amplify our voices, but not give voices to us. Because we've been fighting a long, long time ago. Yeah, ally muscle. We got this. Yeah. <laughs> what is that expression in Portuguese, though? How do you say that? Dar voz. 
Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah it's almost like Spanish, dar vo- un voz. Dar voz, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's really cool. With yeah. English, though, I guess it might be the same problem, not exactly the same reason. So I want to get your take on this. With America, it's such a big country. U.S., I mean. And Brazil is such a big country. Both of them have very low percentages of people that are bilingual. What do you think is the reason for Brazil? According to a study, it's only about 5% of Brazilians in the 2014 study by British Council have some knowledge of English. What's your take on that? Well, I can think about two main reasons. The first one is regarding education because we have a poor level of education here. Many, many people like my mom, for example, my mom is black and my father is white. In Brazil, he is white. <laughs> she was the... <laughs> She right. was in the first generation of my family that started to study in a university. So I have many friends who are the first of their families to study in a university because people before them couldn't make it. So we have a lot of stories like this in Brazil. Sometimes the best education, only rich people can access this. So Brazil is really unequal. We face a lot of social inequality and we have a lot of poor people, more than rich people. Also, I I was talking to you before, we study English during elementary school, high school, but we only study the verb to be. So I am, you are, and we never really learn English. We only know these little things. Also, I guess the other reason, that's the thing that I think, but I don't know if it's right. Since Brazil is a giant country, we don't really have to leave Brazil to do things. For example, we have very different regions in Brazil and we produce different content. So, for example, in Europe, there are some um, small countries, so they can travel and all the time. But here in Brazil, if you drive like two hours, three hours, you can just access other states, not other region. So yeah. we, are, <laughs> yeah, Brazil is giant. So we don't have to leave Brazil to do things. So I think that's a personal thought. Yeah, that's the similar point my dad made when I was interviewing him about the same problem in America. He'd be like, eight hours later. Oh, we're still in America. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Even looking at more data from this, it looks like only in 2020 did the Brazilian federal government make English learning mandatory or compulsory from age 11 to age 17. Most kids are not in school right now anyway, so mm-hmm. it's not really in effect. But what happens in a lot of countries, like you said, it's access, but then the class sizes are also too big. Even as adults, you can run into that problem where you just get stuck doing your homework of to be, to have, to do, to make, but you don't get a chance to talk to anybody. That doesn't yeah. help. Not at all. The way that we learn English is not really helpful because sometimes like I eat an apple when I'm going to use this. <laughs> <laughs> so, I can't use this at a meeting or something. So the most famous phrase here is the book is on the table. 
Oh no. But, <laughs> yeah. The book is on the table. Of course, we don't say like this. We say like the book is on the table with our accent. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of the book is on the table, it needs to be the file needs to be in my Dropbox. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Oh man. But so then how did you learn? Most people get stuck. How did you get past that? Well, I'm inside the curve. I'm at the middle curve of people who don't have money to learn English and terrible English at school. So I started to learn English by myself. Uh, when I was a kid and a teenager, I started to listen a lot of music, a lot of songs, a lot of movies. And I started to put some challenges to me, like, okay, today I'm going to check the subtitles and then I'm going to watch this without subtitles. It was a whole process. But to be honest, I don't remember very well. <laughs> I think I started to meet other people and started to practice. Practicing is the, the best way. It, it's interesting because, for example, we speak Portuguese in Brazil. Some um, foreign people come here And they want to say, olá, bom dia, eu falar português. And then we're like, oh, you speak Portuguese so well, and blah, blah, blah. But when we start to speak English and then, hello, I'm sorry for my bad English. Then <laughs> we don't even speak because we are afraid of our accent. We are afraid of making mistakes, but everyone will make mistakes. But you can't stop because of this. That's the truth. It's Don't apologize. I'm telling you, mi gente, mis pessoas, don't apologize. <laughs> Just keep talking like you're crazy and you don't know that you don't know. <laughs> yes. Sometimes we are too ashamed and sometimes we are just expecting a perfection to be fluent in a language that you didn't born speaking. It's not necessary to be ashamed of your accent. Yeah, this is exactly where body language comes in because communication is only 10% what you're actually saying. 90% of it is body language. So here in Germany, I often have to go to government offices by myself. And when I'm talking in German, I know I'm like, I'm putting a whole bunch of stuff together. I hope this makes sense. If I can tell on the person's face, they're like, what is she talking about? <laughs> Then I have to change what I said or say it again. That's why it's really hard to talk on the phone still. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> But I'm glad that you were open about it. It is a process. It's not going to be something that's one day you don't speak English and then the next day you're like, yes, I am fluent. I can go to Cambridge now or Harvard. It's, yeah. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> no, totally. Totally. I think it's a lifetime process because you're always learning something new. Last week, I learned the word nail clipper. I learned what a, a nail clipper is because I've never heard this word before. And I'm like, okay, I didn't know what a nail clipper was. But yeah, we're always learning. Yeah, this week I learned Auflauf, which is German for casserole. I was like, that sounds like, blah, like throw up, but no, it's food. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I think this whole process is amazing. Yeah, you got to keep it fun. But now there's a big interest in blended learning, which to give you some background on that is like having a class with a teacher, 
but also some video courses, putting the two together, blending them. Do you think that's a good formula? Yes or no? What do you think? Well, it sounds good to me. I, I don't know. I don't know a lot about this, so I don't think I have an opinion right now, but I think it sounds good to me. Okay, that's honest. <laughs> but the other thing I wanted to ask you is, you initially started to be a, a nurse, so how did you end up studying journalism? That's a big okay. leap. <laughs> okay, other question. I don't have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I'm going to talk a little bit about my personal story. Around 13, 14 years old, I wanted to be a doctor. And mm -hmm. I started to learn because we can study on high school, but also have a profession. It's mm -hmm. like in the U.S., I think it was like a registered nurse. You're not a nurse because you didn't study this at university, but you can take care of people. So... You can have some money. You can make some money. There are people who live doing this. I did this and also worked at the hospital while I was uh, learning this and taking care of people. But then I realized that I didn't want this. I want to share people's stories. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I am very energetic. So I want to know what's going on every time. I want to share information and I want to receive information. I realized that studying journalism, media studies, I can be uh, informed all the time and I can talk with several different people and interesting people. So I guess that's how my life changed so much. Mm, but to be okay. honest... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you too, Annalise, that same thing happened to me. Because just like you, I had a vocational class and I was studying IT. Because I was like, I'm going to be in IT. I'm going to be a black woman in STEM. And then I got my first internship and I'm like, this is a lot of alone time. I don't like this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love IT, but I need people. That's just how my personality yeah. is. Well, I love people. I like to be around of people. I know it's a lot of work and nurses, uh, doctors who are fighting against COVID-19. I think it's an honorable work, but I, I don't think it's to me. So I want to help people in other forms. And that's what I do with my articles, with my work. I, I like what I do. Yeah, that's modest. It's like Steve Jobs. Focus is about saying no. Be like, I don't really like that. No, I'm going to focus on this. <laughs> yeah. No, to be honest, I'm still learning how to say no to things. Because it's really difficult to me. And then I'm empowering myself to say, no, I don't want this. In Brazil, actually, it's rude. If you say, oh, Gabby, can you do this to me? And you say, no, it's rude. In Brazil, mm -hmm. you, you have to say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't, and blah, blah, blah. You can't just say no, because it's offensive in Brazil. So I think my culture, it's hard to leave this culture and to learn to say no. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's, it's had the same problem in African-American culture. Be like, what, you said no to me? And then it turns into a whole guilt trip. Oh, you're not going to help me, huh? Love, and you're like, I just, I don't have time. <laughs> I don't have time. 
Yeah, you have Sorry to always, if you're offended. <laughs> you have to say no, but you have to justify yourself because mm -hmm. it's offensive. Yeah. It'll turn into a whole big thing. It could have been five <laughs> seconds, but it turns into five hours. But we're not going to yeah. go there. <laughs> okay, so let me see here. With Brazil right now, do you feel like... How would I put this? Do you feel like the atmosphere for people of color has changed in the last year? Or what have you seen? It's hard to live in Brazil right now. It's really hard to be a, a, a person of color in Brazil right now. Similar to the United States, we're facing a very conservative movement in Brazil. We have our president, Jair Bolsonaro, He hates the Amazon rainforest. Brazil is burning and many of our um, biodiversity is burning as well. I've been facing a lot of pictures of animals, of our, mm. our native animals burning to death. And it's really complicated the, this moment in Brazil. If our president doesn't care about animals, he doesn't care about people of color as well. So we are facing a, a very insecure time regarding the police. We can make an analysis regarding the police of the U.S. and the police of Brazil. Mm. In Brazil, I can say more about Rio because I live here. We have a military police. I don't know if you can understand this, but they are military and they are policemen. It's terrible because they really... I'm not saying that all the police here in Rio is... Um, bad, but they act with violence. They are instructed to act with violence. In Brazil, most of half of population are black. We have mm -hmm. around 56% of black people. We have two, 209, almost two, 210 million people in Brazil. And most of half of this population is black. So what means that we don't have education enough and stuff like that. So Most of criminals are black. Most of black people don't have opportunities and stuff like that. So most of criminals are black, but not all black people are criminals, of course. I guess you can see the, the analysis that I'm doing. So if most of criminals are black and we have a lot of black people here, we're going to attack black people. So we have a lot of cases that black people who were shot by mistake, the police uh, made a mistake. And not only adults, young people, but also children. Mm. So we have a lot of children who are murdered by mistake, most of the time because they were shooting criminals. And then, unfortunately, they shoot children. Uh, just well. in the middle. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. In, in Rio... We have this, not only in Rio, but across Brazil, we have these poor communities we call the favelas. M many of the favelas are controlled by criminals. So sometimes the police decided to enter in the favelas to, to fight against the criminals. But then the population, the poor population, most of people black, are in the middle of these battles. So it's really complicated. We feel unsafe every time I see a black child dying. It's like if I'm dying as well. 
So it hurts a lot. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Favela, I guess, is this barrio. And in the English, we would call it the hood. But it's sad that there's so many songs about that from the, the 60s and 70s that if you listen to it now, you're like, wow, that's still happening. It's really sad. Yes. Do you remember uh, what I was talking about at the beginning, that the fake um, racial democracy? Mm -hmm. So many people think that it's not associated being a Black person, a Black poor person and dying. Like, oh, it's not... No, you are not dying because you're black. You're dying because you're a criminal. So that's what the Bolsonaro government thinks. We cannot discuss these things like, oh, people are dying not because they are criminals. People are dying because they are black, because of their skin color. We can't have these discussions right now because the government doesn't want us to have. Of course, we're still fighting. We're still doing things to save our people, but it's more complicated now in Brazil. Yes, a bit of denial there. Yes. You're already doing it a lot with your articles and having interviews like this, but how do you feel that English is helping you as a professional? Well, in a lot of ways, because I can read articles in English and I can also share the things I'm discovering and report these things outside of Brazil. It's important that the world see what's going on here. Sometimes people who unfortunately don't speak English, their fight is only inside Brazil. Sometimes it's like nobody's hearing it. So it's important to make some noise. So that's what English is doing to me. English helps me to do some noise. Before I'm a journalist, I'm a registered nurse, I'm an activist. And I'm doing things with my skills to help people who are similar to me and to help my people. Nice. So English is amplifying you then. I like that comparison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with English in Brazil, just as you mentioned, some of the advantages, how do you think that would help the Brazilian economy and the Brazilian people if more people spoke English fluently? Well, we have a lot of unemployment in Brazil. I don't know if I'm correct, but about 14, 15 million people don't have a formal job right now in Brazil. Most of the time, people are afraid to speak English in an interview. We have a lot of foreign people coming here to take some management positions. So I think that if Brazilians could speak English, they would take these management positions. For example, if an international company is here in Brazil, why don't put a Brazilian to manage the, I don't know, I just can't remember the name in Portuguese. It's not the headquarter, it's the... Like uh, the branch? Yeah, I think it's this. Okay. <laughs> but if yeah, I think, for example, who can understand more the, the Brazilian audience than a Brazilian? An American or a British person can live in Brazil for many, many years, but they can't have this full comprehension of who we are. So many times we don't have qualified Brazilians to do this job. English is not only about 
the language itself, but it's about the people who you can meet, the information you can access. Sometimes some important articles and researches are only available in English. So if all these people have skills to understand these articles and these things, I think it could improve the, the, the education skills. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about mm -hmm. that most of the managerial positions are taken by expats. I hadn't thought yes. about that point. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so, Annalisa, you gave us some great points today. If someone wants to interview you again or have you write an article for their publication, where can they find you? Well, I'm at LinkedIn. I'm using this natural, uh, this social channel a lot. So it's Annalisa. Well, it's right here. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> right here. It's my name. You can search for me there. Um, oh, but I'll, yeah. I think. <laughs> okay, you can see me below my name and you can search for me um, on LinkedIn. But also you can search for me on Twitter is Annelise underli uh, underline. Yeah. Uh, okay. Underscore. Underscore. Yeah. Uh -huh. Underscore G from Monsalvi. <laughs> okay. And yeah. uh, let me see. Are you also on Instagram or anything like that? Or just those two? Yes. Yes. But my Instagram is more like fun so but if you want to follow me there it's an analyst um, dot g okay so for business linkedin and twitter for fun instagram Annalisa, thank you so much thank you thank Muito you obrigada. <laughs> amazing yeah, we had a good time. For those of you listening too, if you're like, I want to be like Annalise, go ahead and check out cleverhybrids.com for information about business English course or even editing writing for your organization. But until next time, learn by doing and asking. Hasta pronto.